Oh, man. All right with it. Yeah. Ah, good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. Hey, man. What's up? Oh, not much, man. You thinking lunch a little later? Oh, read my mind. Yes, that would be fantastic. I am... No, 11.45 sounds good. We could do Chipotle or we could do pizza or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool, cool. Most of us tend to do anything or everything possible to avoid awkward, awkward moments. We, we run from those. And, uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves, where does really the idea of awkward even come from, and why does it matter? Why does it matter that we seem to back off from any potential awkward moments? Why do we run from those moments? And uh, why do we do that? And, you know, it's just, it's just it's really, we just, just don't like awkward moments. Now, for the Christian or for the Christ follower... Uh, it comes down to this awkward moment of sometimes pointing to our faith. And the reason that is so important is that when you and I pull back from those awkward moments, when we feel uncomfortable about pointing to our faith, not only does it affect our own life, but more importantly, it affects the lives of those around us. So through this series last week, this week, uh, last week's uh, service is available online. You can go take a look at that, a uh, number of ways, or pick up a CD. But last week, this week, and next week, we're trying to wrestle with this idea of awkwardness so that we can move beyond our fears to point to our faith. And today we're going to be talking about being real, being genuine, being, being honest with who we are and how that's expressed on the outside. So earlier we just talked about why do we feel so awkward. Uh, sometimes it's just that we are afraid. We're afraid with just pointing. We're afraid of the blowback. One time we, we shared our faith and it didn't go so well. And so now we just don't do that anymore. We don't even hint to it because we're just, we're just afraid of that. Uh, other times uh, we don't feel qualified. We don't have enough information. We're not an expert when it comes to our faith, or at least we don't think we are, so we, we just back off. And, and sometimes we might feel like uh, this guy. Oh, help. Can you help me, please? I'm stuck. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I have zero experience in lumberjacking. Thank God you're here. Can you make some food? I've been stuck here for six days, and all I've had to eat are two pine cones. Well, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wouldn't know what someone in your condition would... Do something! Uh, do what? I'm, I'm not a zoologist. There's a gun in the tent. Get the gun. I don't have a license. I've never operated... Uh... Look, just through a rock or something. I'm not a geologist. I don't know which one would be most effective. Oh, I, I don't want to die. I don't even know if I'll get into heaven. Do you at least know how to get into heaven? Well, actually, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a theologian, so I wouldn't really know what to say to you. But, you know, if you ever get out of here, you really should look into it. <sighs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Oh, he's coming! Run! But I have no formal training in long-distance running. <laughs> Sounds like it was a good meal. You get the idea. <laughs> also, we don't want to be pushy. The last thing we want to come across is pushy. So we just avoid it. We pull back. We've all seen that person. Sometimes we've been that person that is so pushy that uh, it's, just, it's just we don't want that awkwardness. So again, uh, we just kind of run from that. Um, also, sometimes we're complacent. Sometimes life feels good, we feel good, we're doing this Christian thing, and we're at church on Sunday most of the time, maybe we even plug into a community group, maybe we even serve a little bit here around the edges, uh, but uh, life is sweet, and we've, we've got some you know, good friends, good contacts, good family, and we just, you know, life's good, and, and maybe someday, and I'll wait till something gets you know, worse, and, and I'm just, just comfortable. You know, there, there are a number of reasons why we can feel awkward when it comes to pointing to our faith. And uh, again, th this is big deal stuff when we let that awkwardness hold us back from pointing to our faith. You know, when we think about it and we think about being real and being genuine, especially for a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, you may say, well, this is a, a great message for somebody else, but actually it's a good message for you because you can kind of get some of the nuts and bolts what it means to follow Christ. Uh, but again, uh, for those of us who are Christ followers, you know, th this is important for us to kind of try to figure out how we won't let awkwardness hold us back. And the first thing we need to realize is that in being real, you and I have what we need. If we're a Christ follower, we have what we need. That guy, that hiker, basically had what he needed even though he wasn't an expert. Even though he didn't know about those things, he could have still stepped in and, and helped and done something. And so you and I probably don't at times even really believe this. We, we don't have the expertise. We don't uh, know all the ins and outs. What if they raise a question and we can't answer it? So we just, we just pull back. But the reality is, uh, Jesus says, as he's sending people out to, to point to him, he says this to some of his disciples. He says, you don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. Travel light. Sometimes it's great that we're, in a sense, stripped down to bare metal when it comes to sharing our faith because you and I have what we need. I remember a number of years ago in a youth ministry we were a part of, uh, kids were coming and uh, this one guy had invited his friend and uh, his friend was at a place that he was ready to say yes to Jesus. He, he got it. He believed it. He, he was ready. And, and Aaron, I'm, I'm you know, doing things on Sunday morning. I was a youth pastor at the time, and we're getting ready for the service. And he comes up to me. Aaron does. He comes up to me. He goes, you want to believe it? Sean is ready to say yes to Christ. You need to come quick. I'm like, what are you talking about? You need to come quick. I said, well, I'm getting ready for the service to you know, do all this. I said, by the way, you, you know what to do. He's like, no, 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 you need to come. I said, no, Aaron. Aaron was you know, a junior in high school. I said, Aaron, do you know John 3.16? You know, that, that verse that everyone holds up at sporting events. Do you know that verse? Well, yeah, of course I know that verse. Just walk him 
through that verse and explain it the best you know how, and, and you'll be all set. And let God do his work. Service starts, and those were in the terrible days where we sat up on the platform. Oh, I couldn't stay, because every time I don't have no rhythm, and when there was a clapping song, you know, everyone would be laughing, because I'd be like, so don't look at me now. Now everyone's going to, they're clapping. Let's see if Dave's clapping on beat. Anyway, so we'd sit up there, and uh, so, you know, he comes in the back, and I could see him giving me a thumbs up, and Sean had a smile on his face, because Aaron had what he needed. Do you believe that? If you're a Christ follower, I've heard stories about people uh, saying yes to Christ, and within days they're talking to the, their friends about the difference it's made in their life, and people actually respond. Love what 1 Peter 1.3 says, it's not in your notes. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And godly life doesn't mean holier-than-thou life. Godly life means that you're traveling in the direction aligned with God that honors him. So anyone who's a Christ follower can live a godly life even if they don't feel that godly. If they're moving in that direction. And a part of that direction is pointing to your faith. That's a part of a godly life. So Peter's saying, you and I have everything we need through our knowledge of him. Anytime, most of the time, you see that kind of phrase, knowledge of Christ, knowledge of God, knowledge. Anytime you see that, most of the time, it's not a head knowledge. It's a knowledge through experience. You know God by experience. You've seen him show up in your life. It's not academic head knowledge. You've actually experienced him. So through our knowledge of him, and if you've said yes to Christ, even in that moment, what it took for you to say yes to Christ was an experience of him. You have a knowledge of him who has called us for his own glory and own glory that just means that he's called us to make himself known so when you and i glorify god glorify jesus it's we're showing that he's important we're showing that he's the center of our lives we glorify god by having him order our decisions what we do the big decisions the little decisions that's the way we glorify God. And you've heard us talk about this before. There's actually more glorifying God sometimes in that setting when I do something that's in alignment with his preferred will than gathering on a Sunday morning and singing a song about him. We think that's worship. We think that's glorying him. But reality is, is when we let him govern our lives, when we make decisions, that's demonstrating glory. And a lot of those moments, at least in my own life, are moments where almost nobody else knows. I like that. I, sometimes I'm in a, in a crossroads where I, I do the thing, not always, but I do the thing that I know is God's preferred will, and no one besides me and God know that. Sometimes I think that's the sweetest moments for the Lord, because I'm really doing it not so I look good, 
Not so someone go, oh, Dave, you know, it's because I'm doing it just for him. Own glory and goodness. If you have a Bible with you or one of the Bibles with you, I'd like you to open up to Luke 5, 29, uh, 719 on the page number. If you don't have your own paper copy, please feel free to take that uh, Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, uh, there's version, free app, lots of Bible verses. You can put that on your electric, electronic device and, and follow along that way. Also, uh, most of the verses will be up on the screen. And so, again, this idea that we have what we need. We have what we need. And we see this even in, in Matthew's life. This is Levi. You can sometimes refer to him as Levi, but this is Matthew. And it says this, Matthew, then the Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Levi was a tax collector. The local yokels did not like tax collectors, even when they were Jewish people, because they had aligned themselves with the occupying nation empire, Rome. So no one liked a tax collector. And they would cheat on their taxes or cheat on the collection so they would be able to line their pockets with a little extra or a lot extra. So no one liked him. So Levi decides, because Jesus asked him to follow him, he's following him. He hasn't followed him that long. And Levi has this, this great banquet and invites all his friends. In other words, Levi doesn't have the expertise. He doesn't have all this information. He doesn't have all this skill. But he does have a house. He knows how to throw a great party, so he leverages that. He leverages who he is. You and I can take a look at who we are, what we like to do, and leverage who we are. I told you this before, you know, I, especially when I was a youth pastor, I loved the outdoors, loved backpacking, skiing, all those kinds of things. So I got to do what I like to do, but used a lot of those events, a lot of those activities to point to Christ. Whatever you're at, whatever you do. Remember there was times where if I, we were living in Maine and 20 minutes from Freeport, and that's where L.L. Bean flagship big store is. And if I need to run up and get something, well, I don't know if I really needed, but if I wanted to go up there and uh, I was going up by myself, I always make sure I brought a couple kids with me, just doing what I'm doing. All of us, whether you're fishing, hunting, uh, whatever that is, the game dinner, if you're into that and you like hunting and all of those kinds of things and you have some buddies, some friends that like that, leverage that. Leverage who you are. You don't have to go read a book on sharing your faith. Bring someone to something like that. And you're using who you are. See, we have what we need. You either believe that or you don't believe that. You either believe that in your head, but actually don't uh, execute that truth in your life, or, or you do. We read on in verse 30, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You have to understand that uh, Jesus was, it was a derogatory term, they would say, Jesus is a friend of sinners. You see, he went to where people who didn't, weren't aligned with God, he went and joined them, he didn't judge them, he did point to him, relationship with God, but he, he used all of that. 
And Matthew was one of those people. Jesus answered this, I am not, it's not the health who don't sometimes, and, and they're okay with that. He's called to them to speak into their lives to show them there's another way of life. And that's what Jesus was and is about. A lot of things we do here at Seneca Community Church, almost everything we do is about that kind of idea. We're called to point to Christ. So a lot of the activities we do, the things we do, is all designed for that. It's not designed just to have a holy huddle where a few Christ followers can gather together weekly or whatever and feel good about their faith and feel good about what they know about God. No, it's to gather to uh, export that information and that truth. I mean, that's why Jesus came. And if Jesus hadn't come for that, none of us would be in this room, no matter who you are. So it's the idea that that's what Jesus came for. So we need to take who we are and leverage it. Before Jesus went back to heaven, he said this. He said, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, God says, follow my lead. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you and I, when they read that, we think of all the nations, but forget across the street. We mentioned this last week. It's across the sea. No, no, no. It's across the sea because we've done so well across the street. We listen to a lot of commentators about all these tragedies that are going on, and uh, there's all these ideas of legislation, and, and some of those things would be good, but the bottom line, it's the heart. It's the heart. We need hearts transformed. And the way that happens, when you and I who have said yes to Jesus get out there and point to him, and when we point to him, then hearts are changed by God. And then all of a sudden, all these rules and regulations uh, become less needed because people are oriented towards following Christ. And they don't need laws. They just do what's right. So go. And that word go means as you go. Not go. It's, It's as you go. So as you and I walk through our everyday life, as we go through our regular lives, make disciples point to Christ. Get them to the place with the work of the Holy Spirit that they're ready to follow him. And baptism is just a, is a symbol of identifying with Christ in his ways, his teachings, that you're a follower. Uh, sometime in October, we'll be actually having a baptism. So be watching for that. So this idea of really thinking you have everything you need to point to Christ. If you're a follower, you have it. Also, there's the idea of being real, devouring what you are serving. I always get nervous when I, I go to a restaurant and, and I ask, I don't usually ask this because I usually know they're going to give you a line of bologna, but I usually ask, what's the best? What do you like the best? And if the person pauses and stumbles what they like the best, that probably means maybe they don't, maybe they, they like everything, but it, also it means that they don't like anything. And so they're serving you food, serving you stuff they don't like. Uh, 
the other day I was joking with someone about uh, they weren't eating what they were serving, and that made me a little nervous. Why aren't you eating what, you know, it was a dessert time, and they weren't eating it, you know. Why is that kind of a thing? Uh, usually, for being real, we devour what you are serving. Just to get you in the mood, it's very unfair on a Sunday morning, because I'm already hungry, but look at that. Ignore the brand names, but just eat that's shrimp. Uh, they're missing a big slab of butter on that biscuit. Look at that. Oh, that looks pretty good. Oh, I like those. I like that. I could just drink that butter. It's like a juice cup. I don't know. yet oh that's a great cake huh you get the idea boy now you're wishing that uh, the communion cups were bigger (laughs) and those and those little crackers were a little bit better, but uh, sorry, <laughs> not really. Do you devour what you claim to be serving? Is it, is it the best meal ever? Can you not get enough of it? Because you're not really being real. I'm not really being real. If I'm trying to point to something that I'm not really eating myself, that doesn't satisfy me, that's not the the best meal ever. Love to get into this story a little bit longer, but we don't have time for it. Some Sunday we'll dictate a whole or dedicate a whole service to to the idea of the woman at the well and all that goes on. But Jesus meets this woman at the well. I can't give you all the background, but uh, it's noon. It's, it's, it's everybody, she's thirsty. She, she, she goes there at noon because she just doesn't want to deal with people. Jesus is there talking with her. It's not etiquette for her to be, him to be talking to her. And uh, Jesus is talking about getting a drink and all this, and this is what he says. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, referring to the well water. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. One of the reasons those of us who are Christ followers have a hard time pointing to the satisfying water of Jesus because it isn't completely satisfying for us. And the people in our circles know that. They pick up a vibe. And and that's not to make you feel bad. It's just to say, is, is that your reality? Is it really satisfying to you? Does it create a fresh bubbling stream, uh, a spring within you or not? Because those you may want to point to Christ to 
If they catch that you're more centered on something else, they, they get it because they realize you're really not being real. I'm really not being real. And what is interesting, I saw this as I was reading through this all this week, and I had never thought about this before. I'd always love the next verse I'm going to show you. But I realized that not only was Jesus offering a drink, he was drinking it himself. Verse 34 says, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm offering you this satisfying drink, this satisfying food. I'm not just offering it to you. I find that I am nourished by it too. I'm nourished by it. It's what fulfills me. It's what brings me satisfaction in my life. I, I want to step in, lean into my purpose as one in relationship with the Father. So a lot of our problems as Christ followers trying to point others in the direction is, yeah, it, it kind of takes the edge off, but it doesn't satisfy us. It doesn't really satisfy us completely because we're hungering after something else and we're putting that into our lives. And we find that it needs to be refilled and refilled and refilled all the time. Do you devour what you're serving? Again, Jesus said that for the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek the lost, seek and to save the lost. That is why he came. That's why we exist as a church family. It's to point to the Jesus who came to seek and to save. And again, do we ask ourselves, are we devouring it? Uh, is, there, is, there a, is there a connection between the way we live or the things we think and, and the way we live or not? I'm not going to read through all of this, but uh, Daniel distinguished himself. You remember the story of Daniel? And uh, those around him wanted to trip him up. And they found out that Daniel had an integrity. There was no corruption in him because what he said, his being, was expressed accurately on the outside. He was always eating what he was serving. Maybe familiar with C.S. Lewis. He wrote the Narnia um, Chronicles and a lot of other things. But this is what he said. When we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Doesn't get much clearer than that. Are you devouring what you're serving? Maybe when we celebrate communion in a few moments and we talk about that being a, a recalibration exercise, the Lord may lay, lay some things on your heart that need to be recalibrated so that you would actually be devouring what you're serving. And if we're devouring what we're serving and we're really being real, then it affects our prayer life. 
And our prayer life reflects our heart. I love what Paul says about the people he initially tried to reach. He says this, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for that you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as I long for you to come to faith. We saw a little video last week from Barbara Plant praying for her husband for 25 years. Does, every once in a while, does the spiritual condition of those around you actually cause you, me, to lose sleep because it's on our heart so heavenly, so heavily? Or, or do we get a good night's sleep every night because it's not bothering us? I'm not advocating not getting good night's sleep, but if it's really on your heart, I know the things that are really on my heart keep me up at night every once in a while. When was the last time your love and desire for somebody that needs to discover who Jesus is, when has that desire kept you up at night? Or are you able just to sleep through the night, night after night after night? That reflects where your heart is at. That reflects where my heart is at. I know sometimes when there's a financial problem, I can't sleep at night. But what about those that I desire to see know Jesus the way I know Jesus? The ones that I want to point to. And now when I wake up in the middle and I actually, I actually welcome it. Hopefully it's not every night, but I welcome it. Because I, I, I try to think, oh no, it's not, it's not the idea, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. No, it's the idea, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this at the Master's feet. Jesus said this, very familiar to many of us, that he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's lots of harvest out there. But the workers, the pointers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And may I be bold enough to say, you may be the answer to your own prayer. You may be the answer to your own prayer. It's a little out of alignment when we see a need and we have the potential of being a part of the solution through our actions and we just leave it as a prayer request. Something doesn't match up there. If God's laid it on your heart, you at least need to ask, if I have it within the possibilities of stepping in and helping, and should, shouldn't I just, well, I don't need to pray about this because I can step into it and do it. Sometimes we're already the answer, so we need to ask so that he'll send, and maybe we're the workers that he needs to send thought in a different way but Jesus said the place where your treasure is is the place where you will most want to be and end up being 
So we think about that as being faithful and living a life and, in a sense, sending it on ahead so our faithfulness when we find we meet Jesus is rewarded. But as I was thinking about this verse 2, if I treasure people's lives, if I treasure their souls, if you will, then that's the place where I'll end up. (laughs) I'll be in their midst. I'll be involved in their lives because I treasure them so much, I love them so much, that when it's possible, I'll be with them so that I can point to Christ. Being real involves sharing your faith story. The woman at the well goes back to the village and shares her encounter with Jesus. Then leaving her water jar, which has the idea that she was so excited that she forgot to bring her water back, water jar back, and that's why she was there. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? It's not that he could tell. He's just, she's caught up with the idea that he could be the Messiah. So he tells her story. And lo and behold, the whole village, the whole little town comes out to see this Jesus. And you have to remember, this woman at the well was probably not a respected person in the community. But what she said, telling her story, convinced them to travel out in the early afternoon sun to see this Jesus. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That's, that's another word for story. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. That woman's story probably wasn't eloquent, probably wasn't theologically robust, but somehow her story, her passion touched the rest of the village and many of them because of her story comes out and then once they encounter Jesus her story is confirmed in the presence of Jesus and then they believe not necessarily because of the story but because they've actually experienced Jesus unbelievable you see the greatest evidence is a changed and changing life. And I say for this, especially to some of us who have been Christ followers for a long time, I, every once in a while, with fear and trepidation, will say, Jesus, Lord, where do I need to change? I will actually say I haven't arrived. So that must mean there must be at least one or half of one area that I need to change and grow in. And as I continue to change, not only is that good for me, but it also shows that God is still working in my life through the gift of Jesus. So the greatest evidence is a changed and changing life. Yesterday I sent a text message to Ryan Smith. Some of you are aware of who that is. Uh, they just had a baby boy in the last six weeks, and with that and a couple other things 
Uh, he's not able to be here as often as he wants to be, but about a year or so ago, he got baptized, maybe a little bit longer, a year and a half, and I want you to listen to his story. I also want you to see that it, I think it's less than two and a half minutes. Less than two and a half minutes. So it doesn't have to be a long story, but he shares his story, and this is what he says. Before I said yes to Christ, um, life was a lot different. Um, I noticed myself going down paths that uh, weren't the easiest, I guess what you could say. Um, you know, you end up in places that you're not sure that's, that's where you should be. Um, and, and my personality was different. Uh, even my close family members have told me that uh, beforehand, you know, I, I could be hot-headed. Um, and they just, they noticed a change after I had accepted Christ. And, and you know, that uh, I'm, I'm a lot calmer, uh, a lot more thoughtful towards other people. Seneca community has, has actually really changed my life quite a bit. Uh, you know, just in the leadership and, and within the church itself. Um, They've really brought me to, to know the Lord um, and know myself a lot better as well. And uh, you know, the people here have been pretty incredible, and I've made a lot of new friends and, and had a lot of support from everybody here, you know, through the good times and, and bad times. I was pointed in the direction of, of God and Jesus. Um, it's kind of a combination. My, my wife's family had a lot to do with it. Uh, when I was younger, we, you know, my family, we did go to church, but it was never uh, a large thing in our lives. Um, so I had always been a little slightly open to it. Uh, the, the big kind of push um, was actually my father-in-law. He, uh, he told me before I could marry Ellen, he wanted me to start going to church. Um, so it was kind of a, almost a stipulation, I like to call it, of getting to marry his daughter was he wanted me to go to church. Um, and that's, that in combination with my wife Ellen um, both kind of pushed me to start looking at that and so we, we started to come in Seneca community and I actually kind of really fell in love with the church and I like to come every Sunday and sometimes I'm the one pushing, you know, saying come on, we, we gotta go to church, I know things are busy but we, we've got to go do this and it really has changed my life and, and their lives as well. But it's just been, you know, the, the people. A lot of it's been the people, you know. You had to come to church to really start learning that. And, and then the people just kind of open you up to it, you know. The, just their experiences and, and, and how they feel about it and how much it's changed their lives. And you see that in other people. And then it, even, you know, I don't see it in myself so much as, as other people have told me they see it in me too. And I think that's kind of opened me up uh, even more, just knowing that other people have seen a change in, in me. Very disappointed with that story. He didn't say it was because of Dave Spencer. He didn't say it was the preaching. He didn't say it was the teaching. He said it was the people. He didn't say it was the trained professional. He said it was the people. When he said the people, he was thinking about some of you. You see, you have everything that's needed to point to Jesus. And there is a changed life. I could have showed you other ones, but it's because of the people sharing their life. It's not always what they say. It's really, it really isn't what they say. It's, it's how they live.
what, what they do. You know, mentioned this verse, the whole verse last week, but Paul writes this to the Ephesians. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love. And, and that's, that's our role. That's our role. You see, we need to get through the awkwardness so we can point to our faith and grow up. We know it by experience, the whole truth, what it means to follow Christ, and then we tell it, then we share it in love. Because if you've been following Christ for a little while, you know this to be true. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. That's devouring what you're serving. You see, if we as Christ followers, not just a few, not just a, you know, one or two over here, but if we as Christ followers don't as a collective group of people in a local real location in a real town in a real village in a real neighborhood in a real community don't get through our awkwardness things are going to continue to go the way they're going in in society it's a symptom of people's hearts not being changed and that is my responsibility that's our responsibility you know sometimes we you know you won't hear me use the word gospel often I like to use word good news because someone who's new to faith things doesn't know what gospel means but they do know what good news means and that's what gospel is it's the good news but we just can't talk about the good news you see Christians have to be good news before we can point to good news. And the big question is, are you good news? Are you good news? Wherever you go, wherever you're at, because you can't point to it unless you are it. And then, as we walk in that direction, we will find that the awkwardness doesn't necessarily totally go away, but it doesn't have such a grip on our life that it holds us back from pointing. And then people will start to see more and more Christ in our own life. And he, he will do it in simple, simple ways. Sometimes those ways are outside our comfort zone. Just yesterday, and I'm not, I can't tell you the situations because if I, if I told you the situations, then you'd know the situation, but I, I, I wanted to keep it on the side here. But yesterday was funny. Two simple things. One thing, awkward. I didn't want to do it. Did not want to do it. And, and I felt like, the Lord wasn't letting it go from my heart. So I sent an email, did something, and I got a positive response back, and it will give an opportunity to point to him. But I, I did not want to do it. Absolutely did not want to do it. And then there was another one with a neighbor. Uh, 
and it was a hassle was, and, and didn't really want to do it. Which then is just so ironic that there were two simple little things. And uh, hopefully doing those little things gives a hint that maybe there is some good news that's real. So if someone was to talk to you, would they see the good news in a sense sweating from your pores or not? Only you can answer that question. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you that someone in our past broke through the awkwardness and brought the good news to us. And the reason why we experienced it, because they were like living out the good news. They were good news. Help us, Lord, to be the good news. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not said yes to you, may they be thinking about these things. And maybe even as we walk through communion and explain what that's about, that even maybe now in their seat, they will say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And it will start off as the reality in their life in this moment. And then for the rest of us, again, help us not only to know the good news, share the good news, but help us to be the good news. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.